We talk about de-schooling and, and the definition I have for it is shedding the programming and habits that resulted from other people's agency over your time, body, thoughts, or actions. And it's also about designing and practicing beliefs that align with your desire to thrive, be happy, and succeed. And those are the opposite of colonization. This is Michelle Shireen Muri, your host and fellow traveler on The Ethical Rainmaker, a podcast exploring topics we don't often visit in nonprofits and philanthropy, including the places we can step into our power or step out of the way. The term decolonization gets thrown around a lot as a solution to big and small problems, as a process, as an ideal, as a verb. I've heard decolonizing your bookshelf, decolonizing your TV, decolonizing your diet, your syllabus, your wealth, decolonizing your body, decolonizing your destiny, and decolonizing your spirit. The idea is big and the implications are endless, and it's possibly confusing. The process of unlearning, especially as we are colonized in white supremacist ways, can be overwhelming no matter who you are. It's easy to disassociate and it's easy to give up or feel resignation. But our guest today knows just where to start and just how to keep us motivated and inspired on this journey. Akila Richards is an expert in a field I know almost nothing about, but here's why all of us listening should. Akila is an expert in unschooling as a tool for decolonizing education and liberating ourselves from oppressive, exclusive systems. She emphasizes unschooling and the self-directed education movement and how it can and is serving as healing grounds and liberation work. She encourages healthy, consent-based intergenerational relationships within families, and she also discusses the fears and costs of raising free Black and brown children in a world that tends to diminish, dehumanize, and disappear them. I'm not a parent, but there is so much that we as individuals in the third sector need to learn and unlearn, and Akila is a guide. I first became a fan through her popular podcast called Fair of the Free Child, which centers people of color in liberatory living and learning practices. She's a well-known speaker and has been featured in lots of major media. She has a TED Talk. She's written 10 books, including a co-written workbook called Developing a Disruptor's Ear about how to listen and what to do with what you're hearing, human-centered, less oppressive communication. Her latest book, Raising Free People, Unschooling as Liberation and Healing Work, shares her experiences with the intersections of privilege, parenting, and power. And it's just come out. Akila Richards goes deep into the complexity and nuances of intersections, but the core message is concise. We cannot keep using tools of oppression and expect to raise free people. Unschooling ourselves and disrupting the practices that keep the tools of oppression in place is a work that is being done and is a place we need to be in the nonprofit and philanthropic sectors too. Akila, it is such an honor to have you today on The Ethical Rainmaker. Thank you, Michelle. I really appreciate the invitation and I'm looking forward to our chat. <laughs> Me too. You cover so much beautiful life-giving ground in your podcast and you really go into the nuance and depth of intersections. I think I've heard of interviews with people from the co-housing communities, uh, folks who are interested in mindfulness, folks who are working with plants. You yes. talk about things from self-care to capitalism, control issues, trap music, like a whole variety. And you work with your family, Chris, Marley, and Sage, who are regularly featured. And all of your work, I just find your podcast so healing to listen to. 
um, and just to hear models and to know about and learn about models that are out there where we can learn to ultimately decolonize ourselves, our minds, and the way that we are in community. Yes. Yes. I'm snapping my fingers at all of that. Well, I'm, I'm wondering for people who haven't heard the podcast yet, haven't read the books yet, I'm wondering if we could unpack for those that are new to these concepts, what are we even talking about when we're talking about decolonizing ourselves or de-schooling ourselves? Sure, sure, sure. So I'll start with the, I guess, a disclaimer that I've been told, and I agree, that I may not be mm-hmm. a very good starting point for unschooling, right? Like mm-hmm. the <laughs> because <laughs> the start is usually like, okay, not school. Like we don't we have a problem with school or school got a problem with us, so we're not going that route. That's usually <laughs> the starter point, and then we go into that. So I don't I'm not gonna talk about the history of public education because there's tons of research around that mm-hmm. already all over the lands. Um there so what I will say is that for me, unschooling definitely started out as a place for my daughters who are now 16 and 14, Marley and Sage, a place, it, it was a, an opportunity for my daughters to learn broader, right? Like to learn without the restrictions and confines mm. of conventional schooling. And I never call it traditional schooling because it isn't. Um, traditions are human-centered, many of them in terms of learning, not all, but many in terms of learning. Um, whereas what school is, it's just convention. It's our circumstance. It's actually really new in the learning sphere because learning mm. has been happening long before schooling and still happens um, sometimes in spite of it. So Uh, What I'm going to give you, so we could get these out the way, are my Mm -hmm. definitions of unschooling and then de-schooling. And I want to say that de-schooling is akin to decolonization for many of us. Okay? Got it. Thank you. the terms interchangeably, actually. Great. Yeah. Um, So unschooling, the way that I define it is a child-trusting, anti-oppression, liberatory, love-centered approach to parenting and caregiving. Um, It also is about creating and expanding communities of confident, capable people who understand how they learn best and how to work collaboratively to learn and solve things. Um, Because it really is, before you talk about learning, it's about trust. It's about looking at what liberation means intergenerationally, which includes learning, but not only that. And it's about love. Like, what does it mean if love is not just about my intention, but about something that's actually surrounded by this ecology of accountability where I'm actually listening to the people who I'm loving on and what they're saying and what they need. And then my love in action is shaped by that. So Mm. all of those things are really what I understand unschooling to be. I'll touch de-schooling. And I I mentioned that it's a term we use interchangeably with decolonization. And that actually came out of an episode with uh, Lane Santa Cruz, who's, I think she's been on the podcast twice. Good friend of mine um, is actually now, I think, the city council in, in Tucson. And she talks about, she's another unschooler, and talks a lot about how for her community of Latinx folks, the decolonization element is really what allows her to um, 
give the sort of nuance that makes it tough a lot of times for Black folks, non-Black Indigenous folks to think about not school because school has been such a place of, you know, the potential opportunity to realize whatever the hell. So it can be very tough, understandably, uh, in a lot of BIPOC communities to 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 think beyond the wounds of school. And so we talk about de-schooling and, and the definition I have for it is shedding the programming and habits that resulted from other people's agency over your time, body, thoughts, or actions. It's Ooh. also yes. <laughs> and it's also about designing and practicing beliefs that align with your desire to thrive, be happy, and succeed. And those are the opposite of what has happened and continues to happen because it's it's happening still, colonization. Mm. Thank you so much for those gorgeous definitions. It's so inspiring within a definition of a thing. Even though your platform is about unschooling, you're often talking to parents or listeners about how we really need to start with ourselves. Yeah, completely, because it's it's starting with ourselves and also continuing with ourselves because... A lot of the work that we do to de-school, to decolonize around the ideas about what learning means and how it happens, those are things that are held in our minds as adults, in our hands. The action that is done is ours. The children are in school because we make them go to school, because we feel like that's the best thing for them, or it's the safest place that they can be while we go to work. Uh, you know, all the different reasons that that school feels like a good option in many situations we really don't get a chance to think about the cost of it, just like many other things. So much of what we do is to think about what would it mean if I wasn't thinking about my child just from the perspective of student. So if I was thinking about studenthood on the back burner and thinking about personhood on the front, what happens for many people, and it's not just parents that we talk to, just adults, just adult humans, many of us start to recognize the ways that our own, either the school wounds, like things that happen directly in school or things that happen because of school or because of our good studenthood or bad studenthood, what those things cost us and like the ways, the vices we developed, the relationship issues that we have, how a lot of those things are connected to that loss that we had of developing a personhood that was aligned with actually who we were becoming. So when you start to do that work on your own self, in part by not focusing so much on your child's studenthood, then you start to make the connection between the actual human, like the child human, and some of the things that they're advocating for or the things they're pushing back against. You just start to really humanize your relationship intergenerationally in a way that makes it so that you can partner with a young person around their learning journey, which may or may not include school. It still might include it, but it brings in other things that are usually not a part of school, like consent and mm -hmm. agency, <laughs> you know, confident autonomy, the, you know, the nuances of what it means to collaborate in an environment that tells you that if you help somebody, you're going to get in trouble and they're going to get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like we, we get, which is like the most anti-humane thing ever. So yeah. these are the things that happen as you start to, when you are, when you start with yourself and continue with yourself, you start to see the lens through which you're viewing 
childhood and learning. That That's why it's important to start there. You recognize it, first of all, as not the truth and the light, but as a lens. Yes. Thank you. Oh, so true. All those things that were taught. Yes. I've been so excited to talk to you because what you were talking about in unschooling and unschooling ourselves and really recognizing the damage that gets done in the way that we think about school, the way that we deal with school, the way we have our young people in school or the way that we went through school is it's so important. And it it's a mirror for, for those of us that work in nonprofits and philanthropy. It, th- these conversations are a mirror of what's happening in our sector. We are working within systems that have been built on anti-Blackness and white supremacy. They're all about colonizing us. And it's also all about, um, you know, thinking about things in a particular way, especially in a white supremacist lens. And so when we're talking about unschooling and de-schooling and when we're talking about these practices, like getting in trouble for helping each other out, (laughs) like, you know, this is just one more perspective to look at this issue through because it's, it's happening everywhere. It's happening in our nonprofits and we are replicating it all the time and, and all upholding the time. these systems, right? All in, the time, yeah. In every sector, but it's so clear when we look at education, especially in the way that you speak about our education. Yeah, and I'm glad to hear you say that it is clear. I'm really encouraged by the sort of feedback I'm getting now from so many people and organizations, mm. which is where it gets really tricky, um, the, <laughs> starting to see <laughs> that connection between the the things that we grapple with as adults. You know, I talk about togethering all the time, the different ways we together, whether it's your professional organization or you just getting together with your homies or whatever, or in your relationship at home with your family, the ways that we together are so colonized. We want Mm -hmm. a leader. We want um, somebody needs to be right. One person's talking, the other people are, we do a lot of inhumane things that have become so normalized and they didn't just appear in adulthood. They didn't just happen when you got that job with that one person. These are things that happen throughout our schooled lives. So I call these things schoolishness, not because they are rooted in school, but oftentimes school is where they are perpetuated. You know, whether we're talking about the K through 12 level or we're talking about, you know, higher education, a lot of the the things that happen in, in schools and around schoolishness are the very same things that we grapple with. And I mentioned one of them, like helping people. What does that look like? Being ashamed to ask for help. You know, as a content mm-hmm. creator, I, this is something that we struggle with all the time. The idea that what what is the, the gap between what we think we should know and do, which comes from school, you got to appear a certain way, and what we actually, what the reality is and where we ask for help. How are we perceived? All of these things that are very human needing help, collaboration, um, things not being equal all the time, but things being equitable because we know how to do that in community. We look at actual needs and not metrics that are standardized. These are the things that people are grappling with all over Mm-hmm. And they didn't come from that one job or one industry. They came from the ways that we are yanked out of these human childhood experiences and put inside of this this 
machine to standardize and compare, even with the best intentions, even with wonderful teachers, which I've had, my daughters have had. This this is not an issue about the people inside the institutions. It's about the systemic elements and the upholding of that, that we do unconsciously and across, as you said, across sectors, that makes it very difficult for us to detangle and look at, well, who is the human that I'm dealing with and what is the gap here between what I'm hearing and experiencing with them and the should that's so inherent in my schoolishness. We get to be with those things as unschoolers and we talk about them as skill sets. So you don't have Mm. to not go to school to develop unschooling skill sets. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I love that. Thank you for that. Yeah. Be, well, for, and, for, and for a lot of us, those folks who are listening as well, it feels too late to go backwards. You know, like we can see, we can see the mistakes that were made, maybe in the ways that we were trained. And then what we're left with is, oh, man, my training, look at it. Right, <laughs> like, right. It's, it's rooted disheartening. In all, <laughs> yeah, it's rooted in all these things I don't actually believe in. But my training is such, right? Like my yeah. training is such that my chill time needs to be productive. My training is such Right. We don't even that, have real chill time because you can't brag right? about it, right? Yeah. No, right. We can't <laughs> brag about it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. My training is such that I need to be, uh, to think that I have the answers, right? Yes. And then to bring them all and put them upon other people. Like I at have all, all the answers. <laughs> at, at all costs, cost, right? And even yeah. if we don't mean to, because it's not just something that we do with children or to children. This yeah. is why I'm just so grateful for this whole movement around self-directed education. And I want to really name that here because unschooling is a type of self-directed education. And there are many other types of self-directed education as well. So I, I feel that for me, 2020 has been like, the fucking year of self-directed education. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yes. yes, it has. <laughs> and, and, and it's right on time. That's not coincidence. Yeah. That's not, you know, that is a really a part of what's happening in nature, that we are being called to come back to the spaces where we trust, you know, not trust based on evidence and data and metrics, but trust that is rooted in feelings and connection and being able to observe and connect from a place where you understand that you have a lens and that you have bias inherently that we all do and that we have tools and practices to navigate those things. It doesn't mean we got to wash our hands and be like, all right, great. I got it. Now I'm decolonized. Bet. Let's go. Not at all. We're using all of the realities of everything you just said. Oh my God, I have good friends who are therapists and they're like, yo, when I was doing this, my whole life was this. I knew everybody around me, including myself, needed this, da, da, da. And now I'm, I'm like done with it. And I realized that therapy is so colonized, like the whole Mm. world, you know, the Shauna Marie Brown and Thea Monnier. These are two black women therapists who have really pushed back publicly and continue to do work to say, listen, we need to decolonize these spaces. We need to look at what is happening with the human. What is the systemic anti-Black racist elements that are sitting in here that we're carrying over. And now how, how do we together differently with this knowledge? Not put it aside or fix it right away, but we're going to be with it because it's here. It's real. Right, right. Oh, so powerful. I love listening to you talk. <laughs> I could do it for days and I have, but I, I look forward to more. <laughs> This is The Ethical Rainmaker. I'm Michelle Shireen Murray. I'm talking with Akila Richards, an expert in unschooling as a tool for decolonizing education. 
and liberating ourselves from oppressive, exclusive systems. She emphasizes unschooling and the self-directed education movement and how it can and is serving as healing grounds and liberation work. You can find out more about her work at RaisingFreePeople.com. You were talking uh, at the beginning of season six of your podcast, Fair of the Free Child. You said it was about that, that this season is about naming and shrinking the ways that we've been taught to separate things that we shouldn't separate. And one of the examples you used is just, again, all of this very related to fundraising, very related to nonprofits, very related to philanthropy, and specifically to the movement of community centrism, which is uh, one example you gave, the learner deserves to be centered over the curriculum in the learning process. So important, you know, and another thing you said, partnership needs to be centered. Same with understanding more than being understood. These pieces, especially this one example, the learner deserves to be centered over the curriculum, is just such a fucking beautiful, uh, simply stated way of what, what we should be doing in the nonprofit sector. We should be serving, we should be centering the communities. The community that we are meant to serve needs to be centered over whatever plans that your nonprofit came up with or whatever plans your donor or your foundation or your institutional partner thought was a good idea. It actually needs to come from the the community itself, the learner themselves in this example. Right? Otherwise, it's colonization. Right. Yes, because right. what you're doing is you're taking a space that has a richness that you've identified and you said, great, I, I like it. I don't think they know what to do with it. So I'm going to decide. I don't even care if they know what to do with it because they are doing things with it. I just don't value that. So I'm instead, as the person with the knowledge and the information and the smarts and all of that, I'm going to go in <laughs> and I'm going to just decide for them and I'm going to do it in ways that are going to be great for everyone. You know, all these, these well-intentioned, quote unquote, quote, things, you see that parallel, right? Like what I was talking about is an adult-child relationship. But really, that shit applies across the board to so many things. I see it across, again, just across sectors. Um, Over this past year and a half, I've been working a lot more with a higher ed. So working Mm. with an Ivy League university, a couple of uh, non-Ivy League, I guess, regular-ass universities. I don't know what they're called. They're not Ivy League. Um, And I've been working with um, corporations and also specifically Mm. corporate leadership, people who do corporate leadership work. So I've been working in those spaces and brought in initially to do like diversity and inclusion work. But really, the work that I do is about decolonization and belonging. And those two are not the same thing. They're not the same thing at all, because so much of what we're talking about now is to look at the ways that the settler colonial lens lives in our practices, not just mm-hmm. as white people, but how it lives in our practices across the board. And then what can we do to name that communally and individually, right? Because that's one of the things that I love about the unschooling movement, that it speaks both to the individual and the responsibilities and opportunities they're in, but then who is that for in addition to the individual? Who is impacted? What does impact look like? If we are not listening to the people that we impact, just as you were talking about, then what we're doing is colonizing. If we're Mm -hmm. making a film about unschooling in a black community and you didn't have any sort of connection to the black people in the community, that's an act of colonization. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Like we these are things that and again, we learn these things from these practices that have been normalized, but they're not very humane. And many of those are upheld in school. So when we talk about unschooling, we're talking about moving away from schoolishness, not necessarily school, because many people can thrive in school, especially at the higher education level, with a knowledge of self, with a clarity of your actual community. But what usually happens is that school is often romanticized. And we have, just like with parenting, we parent Mm -hmm. right past the kid. We're like, yeah, this is who you could be. So that's what I'm going to focus on. Same thing with school. This is the potential right here. So that's what I'm going to focus on. Forget about who's actually in front of me talking right now. That practice is one that has been, we really learned that from school. The idea that there's a person, we can't together, that that's inappropriate most times. You compete, you stand out, you try to shine, um, and then you'll earn the right to be you know, whatever the thing is that makes you happy later on. But if Mm -hmm. we look at these things now, a lot of the skills, a lot of the bullying, a lot of the feelings of not enoughness and not knowing how to be in community with other people while holding your own boundaries. These are the things that I've, that I work on with these organizations. We, we work on belonging and decolonization because mm-hmm. the output, your product and, and the people, the way the people in your uh, department feel Those things are one thing, but what are the roots of that? What are the individuals doing? It's personal leadership work, really. Yeah. Right? For communal healing. So so that's what it is. And the the skills in it, the skills in in unschooling apply. I see it over and over again, especially this year. (laughs) They apply whether, whether you fuck with school or not. Right. I so gamed the school system. It wasn't even funny. Like I was so disconnected from it. Yet I, on paper, it just looked like I did really great because I saw it as a system. You press the buttons and you get the things. And I I could tell even as a teen what school was costing me. Like I, I, not with the level of nuance that I have now, obviously, but I knew that it was costing me things. And I knew that if I performed schoolishness and studenthood, then I could just get away with a lot of other shit. And what what we're talking about now is moving away from young people needing to perform studenthood and their rights be violated as humans. And instead, looking at a way that integrates the same stuff we talk about as adults when we're in our 30s and 40s and 50s trying to get to like, who am I? What are my boundaries? Um, How do I show up in the world in a way that is both affirming for me and welcoming for the sort of energies that I want to be part of? What happens when I'm super uncomfortable with someone or I don't understand or don't like, yet we have a common goal that we need to work through? These are real life situations that we do not get practice with in school. Because if you get in trouble in school, and I know because <laughs> that part I didn't do great at, I got in trouble <laughs> a lot. No one's going to sit down and actually deal with the root of the thing. You're going to get kicked out of the classroom. You're go- you know, it's a, it's a whole punishment and reward-based system. So people, we are acclimated to that, yet our human selves, our natural selves, still recognize that as egregious. And so that we deal with that the impasse and the frustration of that. And we deal with that on each other, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? So like if we are now instead 
looking at the reality that we are all colonized in all these many ways. And then we instead are saying, what does it mean to develop a disruptor's ear? You know, you mentioned that workbook that Malika mm-hmm. and I created. How can I disrupt this regularly scheduled programming so that my awareness, you know, everybody woke now. So my awareness, <laughs> if it is not followed by, <laughs> if I don't have things in there to disrupt those patterns and offering in accountability so that I can begin my de-schooling process and so that I can move into the unschooling that I talk about that's not about not school. If you're not doing that, then you just aware, 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 complain, complain, cry, frustrate, mini solution here, but we're not actually moving beyond the issue. And that's what Fear of the Free Child is about. You hear a bunch of people talking about the problem that's present, but also some of the ways that they've been able to navigate that in ways that are effective for them and that are growing and deepening their relationships communally. Mm-hmm. Mm. That is why it makes it my favorite thing to listen to. <laughs> it's so, so healing. Right? So good. We got to know yeah. this. We got options. <laughs> yeah, we got options. And people are practicing them. They're doing yes. it. Some some have been doing it for a long time, right? Yes. They're, they're doing it in different sectors. You know, again, I'm thinking of someone who was talking about co-housing communities, right? Yes, like, yes. I, I'm thinking oh, about, was, you know, what was, cr- it Crystal was a good Bird episode. Farmer. Yes, Crystal Bird <laughs> Farmer, her book, The Token. Yes, shout out to Crystal. Oh, yes. Shout out to Crystal. I'll put I'll put a link in the show notes Please do. Um, to yes. that book. Yeah. And to she that work. And... Directed Education Center, you know, and Ooh, it's so yeah. great because then she that's another just uh, shout out to Crystal because she talks about the same those same sort of things about the ways that we don't even recognize. We don't even recognize what's happening. And then when we do what what happens is we recognize and we either retreat or retaliate. Right. Because yeah. those, that's what school tells us. It's like, oh, you messed up. Hide, you know, like yeah. brush it off on something or someone else or retaliate because then you're going to look like X, Y, Z. Whereas if we're moving into these self-directed practices, then we're saying, wait a minute, like, what does it mean to be where we are right now? What are the things, what are the things that have emerged in this particular community that we find effective, that we want to talk with other people about so that we can pull a little bit of, a little piece from their thing and a little, they can pull a little piece from ours and we test this shit out together because that's what a lot of life is. And we do it while inviting, again, that accountability that is so missing from a lot of the conversations about equity right now. we Like, who are you listening to? You're making big plans. Who are you talking to? Exactly. <laughs> I literally talked to an organization um, earlier this week who had received a list of demands from their BIPOC community of staff And, you know, they were taking action around it. But when we got clear, we got clear that they weren't actually listening to any of the demands. (laughs) They were just taking action around it. There's a lot of not listening happening. Yeah. And that's schoolishness 101. Like you don't (laughs) you don't actually have to understand some shit to, quote unquote, prove that you know it. That's schoolishness 101. Right. Like how many tests did you take and ace that you're like, I don't know. I have no idea. You don't even remember an hour later, let alone years later. Those skills (laughs) are school skills. So in de-schooling, we get to name those and disrupt those so that we can begin an unschooling practice that says, when do I plug into elements of the system? Because particularly as Black folks, 
I'm, I imagine other people too, but as black folks, sometimes we got to do that. Like our, our survival, our capacity to design a path to sustain <laughs> and thrive is sometimes means that we got to dip into elements of the system. But what I feel call to is to to really nurture that wholeness, that reclamation, the recovery of self to get into the old knowings of unschooling, because this shit is old. Mm. It's older than school so yes. that we can learn to be together in ways that, you know, that are healthy and that if we choose school, we can be whole in it as opposed to, you know, the way that it is such an extractive experience for so many of us. Yes, it is. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Akila Richards is joining us today on The Ethical Rainmaker. She's the host of the Fair of the Free Child podcast, a TEDx speaker, and a 10-time book author, having just released her latest book, Raising Free People, Unschooling as Liberation and Healing Work. Learn more about Akila and access the show notes at theethicalrainmaker.com. One of the things I'm seeing in this movement of community-centric fundraising is a lot of well-meaning people trying really hard. And I'm talking about well-meaning white people, but I'm also talking about people of color trying hard to either help themselves or their organizations through racial equity work or dismantling the structures of the status quo. And they're consuming media and all the books that they're told to read, all the things that are recommended. They're just going through it. And they're getting lost in the what do I do and how do I do this I feel like you might have some tips around self-directed learning in adults and what it really looks like, not just to cram from the fire hose of knowledge, but what it really looks like to get it. Yeah. The, the first thing that it that it's about is questioning, like being willing to question without feeling like you can question your way to the answer. Right. So the questions become the curriculum. That's a part of it. So when you ask that question of like, I know what can I do that instead of what can I do? Like, okay, I need to find the answer. It's like, oh, this is good that this is a question that's coming up for me. I'm not going to ignore it and not do anything because there's so many options and I don't know what to do. And I'm not mm -hmm. going to get on my high and mighty thing and like just pick one and be like, this is it. This is the truth in a way. Instead, uh, again, I talk so much about an ecology of accountability uh, because we find that in the self-directed spaces, that's that's often one of the things that's missing. It's like your intentions are there and then you have some resources and you you see a need the way that you define it. So you go do something. Mm -hmm. OK, but you need to be involved. So we talked about this a little bit at, at the top of our conversation. Whoever it is that you feel like you want to impact, how can you get into community with them? Right. Right yeah. now. Like, how can you get in community with them? Lots of people like myself and you, we have Patreon communities and yeah. that's and that's about currency. That's not just money, but it also means that we're asking questions. We're investing time, you know, getting feedback and all of that. That's one place and that's okay. tied to money. But then there are also other places like I have a fair of the free child village inside the Mighty Networks platform. It's actually one small village inside of the My Reflection Matters village, which Chimay Alice James, super dope sister out of Connecticut. Is it Connecticut? Or is it Massachusetts? Oh my God, I forgot. But she's on that <laughs> side of the world. And um, her her whole organization, it's My Reflection Matters. And she invited Fear of the Free Child to have a, um, a spot in there. So we're in there and we are talking with, you know, white parents and lots of folks, just a collaboration of us who are saying, 
what are some of the things we can do together? Not these broad strokes, sound good window dressing, as my friend Malika calls it, responses. But sometimes what you can do is be in community with one person of color who actually wants to be in community with you so that you can start to unlearn some shit that, that nobody can tell you in a book. Like stop focusing on all the dead non-white people that you can read and name and brag about that you read them <laughs> and talk to some of the ones that are alive right now. Right. <laughs> That's the first novel idea. <laughs> Sorry. I love it. <laughs> the first novel idea. All right. We're ready for more. <laughs> right. Just just like talk to the ones that are alive right now. And <laughs> if you are not in community with someone in terms of like geographically, because that's another schoolish thing. But you're not my classmate. How will I ever meet you? Um, <laughs> you know, and we all suffer from that because myself included, because it's a schoolish thing. But you can many people appreciate being reached out to, especially if you're really looking to, so not like reaching out like, oh my God, can you please educate me? No, more like, oh my God, I went to your site and I went to these things and I saw these things and I'd love to start here. Is that a good point? Or is there a place, where do you, um, is there a place you recommend that I start with your work um, or posting the question maybe on their Instagram? Oh, I love this. And I see people are commenting, which ones, which episode did you like first? If it's the podcast, I've had white people do that because they've listened enough mm. to know, look, don't try to give me more work. Don't reach out to me where I'm doing something. I'm busy. Like get yourself right. involved. So it's that it's to be in community with non-white people and particularly black women mm -hmm. so that you can start to see what what somebody cannot explain to you. And then you because you'll be in actual relationship over time, then you can discern when to ask certain questions or who to ask or somebody who's learning to trust you over time can say, oh, you need to be a part of the free joy experience with Thea Monier and Ebony Janice because they mm. focus on this thing right here. Like generally, it seems like oftentimes people are looking for the answer because that's schoolishness when really if you can start with where can I go and ask more questions, you know, questions that are better than the questions that I've asked before, questions that might land with people who want to answer questions. That's where you start. You get out and you do that work. Thank you so much for that. Um, I, 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 again, I just, I really, I'm a huge fan. I really appreciate your work. And I think it's so key to the work that we're doing with community-centric fundraising and just centering community in general, trying to decolonize the ways that we have become accustomed to in the nonprofit and philanthropic sectors. We really need to be questioning everything, the way that we've done everything in our sector, because we are really truly not serving the folks that we have purported that we want to serve, that the issue areas that we purport that we want to serve, the beings that we say that we want to serve. And so much of the wisdom of how the, how it needs to change and what we need to do differently, all of that is represented in the work that you are doing. And so just, again, thank you. Thank and you. I, yeah. And I, I wanted to ask you a little bit. You've just put out a book. I have not had the chance to get through it yet, but you know it's coming. <laughs> and so I would I would love I would love to hear all about it because this is this is book number 10. Um, and it's the first one that you did not self-publish, yep. right? <laughs> totally. Yeah. So raising free people, unschooling as liberation and healing work. Um, I didn't even, it's just so great how it happened, but 
ultimately, I was really able to write the book that I wanted to write. I know from experiences with so many of my friends, even some of whom have New York Times bestselling books, that it can be really hard. It, it is often a major struggle to write the book that you want to write. I got to write the book that I wanted to write. <laughs> mm. And this is really what it is, is an extension of Fear of the Free Child podcast. It allows for us to have this one little thing, and it's a small book on purpose because I wanted people to be able to like put that shit in their bag and be like, bam, this page is what I was talking <laughs> about right here. So we really yes. just talk about the ways that Black folks, non-Black, Indigenous folks, and people of color have been able to bring self-directedness because it's such an old skill into now and what that looks like and why for us it is not just about school or not school. It's liberation work. And so I really talk about what liberation means for me personally and then how and share the stories of other people, many of whom have been on the podcast and also mm -hmm. my daughter's direct perspectives, both of my daughter's direct perspectives, Chris, my partner, their dad, a lot of his perspectives. So it really is just to open up a little bit. What is this unschooling thing? If you're not just talking about school or not school, how is it connected to decolonization? How is it liberatory? How do people in the islands think about it differently than the people in wherever? And obviously these are general terms, some of it, but a lot of it is so super specific. So it's meant to be specific to offer you examples of how it shows up. It's meant to give like webbing to show all of the different things that this is actually connected to. And of course, like all things I do, it's meant to, to amplify the voices of Black folks, non-Black Indigenous folks, and people of color, period. <laughs> mm. Thank you for writing it. Thank you for collecting all of those experiences and for creating that extension and yet one more format yeah. that is easy to access. Um, again, yes. all the links to all of this will be in the show notes. And I learned from you earlier that you've created a, a beautiful kind of state of the state for all the folks that follow your work. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So it's the it's the state of the podcast network. I don't know, situation. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so it really just breaks down. It's a bit of a year in review. A lot of the things that we've been able to accomplish um, this year and it also speaks to the vision forward, as you mentioned, like I was talking about season five and what was popping for season five and then what we're looking to do with season six and beyond. So it speaks to that in detail. It talks about um, some invitations that I'm making for particular community leaders in self-directed education, like established community leaders who I know that I can offer a level of support just through my platform. And mm -hmm. then it also is a call for funding in a way that I think is decolonized. And this is why when you reached out, I was like, oh my God, easy, yes. I manifested this conversation, appreciate it. Woo! <laughs> because yes. so much of this is like, I, I get, it, there was such pushback <laughs> around the idea for me for years. I, I applied for a bazillion fellowships, didn't get them. Because I'm like, how mm. are you asking you're saying that you're reaching out to these communities of people doing this work, but then you're going to make me do all of these things right here outside of this important work that I'm doing to prove to you that I'm doing like it's, right. it's just wrong. It's not set up properly. And like so many things, I know that I don't need to be able to articulate the shit beautifully for me to be right about what I'm saying, because That's I right. know what the hell I'm feeling. So 
this this is really about that. So it's offering people an opportunity to think about what it means to fund, to invest in somebody, something with your dollars and your skills without doing the colonizer thing and being like, great. So now you got to do these 15 things first in the middle at the end and you got to compete with four other people and I got to take pictures so that they see that I'm helping you. Like, so mm-hmm. it's really to name that and to to say, here's what we're looking to do. Here's how we want to be in partnership. And here's the invitation for how you do that. Mm, Beautiful. All right. So what I'm hearing for everybody that's listening is a call for funding (laughs) for meaningful partnership. And they can find that where? Raisingfreepeople.com. That's the main site. And I'll have a page for it. But also I'm on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Akila. The state of the podcast network address is a public post. So you do not need to be a patron to see it or to share it. Mm hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. I wish you all the funding that you could ever want or need for all of the projects that you're working on. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. And again, call out to funders. This is what we're dealing with. This is what we're dealing with. All these barriers, ridiculous barriers to fellowships, for example, proving the many ways in which something is set up, you know, perfectly for the funder to just understand what's happening and fund it. It's a lot of work. It's too much work. Um, for yeah. our community's leaders to and have to go through. And sometimes it's inappropriate. Like not only is it That's too right. much work, it's sometimes it's inappropriate because your metrics for whether so, it's like you're taking the the process that is valuable and you're saying these things are valuable, you're making a call out in these particular areas, but what you're doing is you're taking that thing and then you're trying to fit an existing thing into your idea as opposed to bringing your resources to something that is working well for a community that you might not have metrics and understanding for. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Right. Huge problems and solutions can be found (laughs) all within Akila's network. So please, (laughs) again, links in the show notes to all of the things that we've talked about today. Sure. Um, I have two more questions for you, and this one is a question that I ask all guests, which is, you know, you've done this incredible body of work, and you are, like, mid-stride. You are in it. It is amazing. I know it's been just gaining momentum the entire time that you've been working within this movement and and building it and being one of the many leaders in in these movements around unschooling. Yes, because there are so many of us. <laughs> there are. Yes. There are. And I get to hear them on your podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, from the moment that you're born until now, there were so many things that have happened to shape the course of your life and shape who you are and what you do. What would you say are some of the primary identities that you hold that shape this work that you're doing now? Yeah, certainly uh, blackness for me is such an important part of my how and my why and my what. Um, I'm a person who's long been connected to my ancestors, like not just, you know, in the obvious ways (laughs) of literal relation, but in terms of connection beyond that, Um, you know, being able to hear and understand feelings that are connected to things that are way before me and things that are beyond me. So for me, my Blackness is such an integral part of my how and why. Um, also being a Jamaican, which has its, um, there's an element of that, that, you know, I have all these issues with how 
a place is formed, a country, you know, the idea of the borders and all of these mm-hmm. things that I'm unlearning. But then I also have deep value for culture and, of course, my own family as a Jamaican. Um, I think that also the the level of mm, the differences w- of dealing with British colonialism Mm-hmm. And then whatever it is here, um, that's also <laughs> something that <laughs> that's also something that um, impacts the way that I see things and the way that I can connect people. So I definitely see myself as a connector of sorts and a part of my background culturally as a Jamaican and then moving here as a young child. I moved to the U.S. when I was 10 but it was enough time. And then I lived in Jamaica as a, as an adult for some time. Those elements really shape a lot of things for me. Also woman, identifying as woman and womanhood and all the elements of that for me, both the things that I know and learn and also the things that I'm unlearning, you know, um, are so connected to how I show up and why. And I would say those are the three primary things as as a black person that's connected to my ancestral lineage in as many ways as I can and continue to be and then also as a Jamaican who has had certain you know gives me a different type of lens um and certainly as a woman those are the three that that stand out for me as you ask the question yeah right thank you thank you for sharing so much of your so much of yourself and all of the work that you do and really I mean when I think about freedom of self-expression I think about you and all of the, <laughs> all of the work that you've done for yourself you know and with yourself to be able to teach everyone you know everyone around you this community to be able to build the partnerships that you've been building um, to be able to produce the things that you've been producing, you know, and to be the the mother and the teacher that you also are too. Thank yeah, you so much for sharing so, so openly. <laughs> you're so welcome. And everything you just said about me, I also am a beneficiary of, you know, I have right. lots of teachers around me, especially Marley and Sage. My daughters are my primary yeah. teachers and I learn out loud. I think a big part of why, you know, people will hear about me as one unschooling organizer among many um, is often just because I learn out loud. Like I don't, for sure, one of the ways that I am being raised by my Jamaican grandmother is like, look, I don't give a damn what you think. You know, like people say that <laughs> and and people also know that I'm deeply caring. But in terms of my perspective on a thing, I, I'm going to say it, you know, and I and that's yeah. all. It's something I'm proud of. And it's also something that I am able to use again to amplify and connect. And so I'm glad that it's a skill <laughs> that somehow I have. <laughs> Oh, yeah. We are all lucky for that. We are all lucky for that. Thank you. I appreciate you, Michelle. And that's it for The Ethical Rainmaker. I'm Michelle Shireen Murray, your host and executive producer. You can find show notes and transcripts of this and every episode at theethicalrainmaker.com. We're self-funded, so if you feel like throwing some cash our way, you can do that. You can inspire this beautiful series through your financial contribution. We'll take it on Patreon. And thank you to our newest patrons, Anne, Laura, and Michelle. Please do pass on the word about this podcast. Tell your friends, your coworkers, your collaborators, your classmates, anyone you think might like it. It helps us get the word out. And when you subscribe, you get the best of what we have to offer. And you know, it boosts our numbers too. I promise there are more incredible episodes on the way coming to you live every other Wednesday. 
The Ethical Rainmaker is produced in Seattle by Isaac Kaplan-Wolner with editing assistance by Kazmara Hall and socials by Rochelle Pierce. This pod is sponsored by Freedom Conspiracy, my fundraising consulting collective, which you can find at freedom-conspiracy.com. Our theme song, I'm Gold, is by Trick Candles, to whom we owe deep gratitude. You can find them on Bandcamp. I am so looking forward to continuing these amazing conversations. So see you in two weeks.